Holy Spirit, may you never need an invitation to be in this place. May you always be welcome here. I do pray that you would fill this place with your atmosphere, that we would sense you today and know that you are here in a very real way. And now, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit would speak to us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. You ever been watching a movie and there's a poker scene, card playing poker scene in, in the movie? If you've watched a Western, you've seen that, because I think there's a poker scene in every Western, but, um, but in the poker scene, invariably, somebody goes what they call all in. What that means is they push all of their chips to the center. They are convinced that they have the winning hand, and so they are betting everything that they have. You ever, you ever heard the phrase, bet the ranch? That actually comes from real life in the Wild West days. A person who thought they could win and, and had the winning hand would take a piece of paper and they could sign as a promissory note their ranch. And so they would put that into the pot. They were betting the ranch. They were all in in all aspects. I believe that the Lord in our text today is going to tell us that he is looking for people that are all in when it comes to following him. As I was thinking about this message and, and being all in, I was reminded of the wedding ceremony that the pastor was doing, and uh, the man was kind of nervous that was getting married. I mean, it was his wedding day, and so the pastor looked at him, and he said, will you take this woman for better, for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health? Well, he thought it was multiple choice, and so he said, I'll take better, richer, and health. <laughs> As you know, that's not how it works in marriage. In marriage, we are all in until death do us part right Jesus demands no less I think of us as believers than he does of us as husband and wife now Jesus's expectations and the church's expectations are sometimes different see because the church is looking for decisions Jesus is looking for disciples and they're not always the same thing a person can make a decision and never really be a disciple. You know, um, if, if you go through our Next Steps class, if you are relatively new to Eastwood and you go through our Next Steps class, one of the things you'll learn is we have four values, and, and there are six measures. The measures are how we determine if someone is, is actually a, a disciple that is actively serving the Lord. And so I want to remind you of those or explain them to you if you're new. You use the word, the name Samuel, and that helps you understand. Now, Depending on how you answer these questions, you are telling yourself whether or not you are a, a disciple or maybe whether you've just made a decision, all right? The S, the S stands for service. Am I using my spiritual gifts serving the Lord? The A stands for abiding. Am I spending time daily with the Lord God? The M stands for missions or missional, and the, the question is, am I ready to go? If it's to the next door neighbor, if it's halfway around the world, am I ready and willing to go wherever the Lord sends me? The U stands for understanding. Am I growing in my understanding of core biblical beliefs? All right. E stands for evangelism. Am I friends with someone who is far from God? And then L stands for love. Am I known by love? Now, depending on how you answer those questions, you can tell yourself, how much of a disciple you are, how much of a follower you are, because those are what we believe measure a person who is following Christ. 
We're in, um, and, and by the way, when we think of all in, I mean, think of it. When, when the Father sent Jesus to the earth, he was all in. When Jesus went to the cross, he was all in. And how much more should we as his followers have been bought by his blood be all in, willing to bet the ranch on him? We're in a series of messages entitled Radical, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And, and today really is a difficult saying of Jesus because Jesus is going to tell us that we are to take up our cross. To take up our cross. The text is Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, just one verse. The, the words will appear on the screen or if you have your Bible open. Either way, I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. Then Jesus said to his disciples, now notice disciples, not decisions, he said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. God bless the reading of his word. Go ahead and be seated. I want to break this verse down for you and help you understand it. And then there on your note sheet, if you have that from your connection card, there are some very real practical life applications that you'll understand, that you'll be able to take home with you, that help you understand the implication of what Jesus is saying when he says that we are to take up our cross to follow him. The first thing it involves is it involves desire. Now, it's interesting to me. Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, I would have thought he would have said since everyone I, I mean I mean I would think that would be more realistic all of the synoptic gospels Matthew Mark and Luke they all contain this verse where Jesus says if anyone desires to come after me let him uh, deny himself take up his cross and follow me they all include it Luke seems to be kind of chronological and so in in Luke chapter 8 the demon-possessed man in the gatherings he he was demon-possessed and if you remember he he had to be chained to the tombs because uh, he was so wild. Jesus sets him free, and he's in his right mind. Later in that chapter, he heals the woman with the issue of blood. She's had it for 12 years. He raises Jairus' daughter who had died in that chapter. And then chapter 9 begins with the feeding of the 5,000. And then we get to this text. And so in light of everything people had just seen, I mean, Jesus had power over demons. He had power over disease. He had power over death. In light of that, you would have thought everybody would have wanted to follow Jesus. Not so. Not so. And the reality is, even today, there are those who refuse to follow Jesus. Now, God is pro-choice, not in the sense of abortion, but in, in the sense that he gives you the choice to follow him or not. He'll not force you. He'll not coerce you. He'll not make you follow him. You have to decide. And that's why Jesus said, if anyone desires to follow me. I'm glad that ours is a whosoever will gospel. I'm glad of that. Anytime, anywhere, anybody can be saved. Now, not everybody will accept Jesus, but Jesus will accept everybody. You understand that? Not everybody's going to accept Jesus, but Jesus is willing to accept everybody. I've never met somebody who wanted to be saved and couldn't. Now, I've met a lot of folks who could be saved but wouldn't, but I've never met anybody who wanted to be saved and couldn't. Now, some of you I know well. Some of you, I have been your pastor for almost 14 years now. Others of you, I 
I'm just learning. Some of you I may not have even met yet. But I can tell you with all confidence that I can, I can tell you where every single person in here is going to spend eternity. I don't know if you're saved or not. I don't know what your relationship with like, is like with the Lord. But I can tell you where you're going to spend eternity. You'll spend eternity right where you want to be. Because if you want to be saved, you will be saved. Jesus said if anyone desires, and so if you choose to reject Jesus and end up in hell, that's because you chose that by rejecting Jesus. He says if anyone desires to follow me, they can. You know, you know why, um, well, some folks say, I don't, I don't want to be, I want to believe, but I don't want to be born again, like there's a difference. You know, when, when you hear, I, I hope you understand, when you hear somebody say born-again Christian, that is redundant. Because born-again and Christian mean the same thing. There are no Christians who are not born-again. Now, there are denominations who, who don't teach that you have to be born-again. They must cut John chapter 3 out of their Bible because Jesus said, unless a man's born-again, he'll not enter into the kingdom. There are others who say, I want to blaze my own trail. All, all roads lead to heaven. No, listen, just because you say you want to go to heaven doesn't mean you really do. But if you really want to, you can, and it begins with the desire to follow Jesus. Not only does it involve desire, it involves denial. It involves denial. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Now, self-denial goes against everything that we hear, everything we see, everything we think. I mean, we're about self-fulfillment. We're about self-grandizement, promotion, exaltation, admiration. Do you know the greatest tool that Satan has against you is you? The greatest tool he has to use against you is you, self I'm going to make a confession to you this morning. I didn't think I'd do this, but I'm going to name the member who gives me the most problems. I'm going to tell you the member who causes me the most headaches. Now, I don't really want to name him because I like him and I love being around him. The fact is I can't get away from him. Because the member who gives me the most problems is me. Self. And the person who gives you the most problems in your walk of faith is yourself that is satan's biggest tool against you I, I remember we were taking leah home from the hospital she's now in her early 30s and and uh, all saints hospital in fort worth and we took her down and put her in the car seat and i mean the big car seat swallowed her up and 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 i'm driving home real slow didn't want to take corners very fast you know because and, and i look at jan and we're like can you believe god I mean, they just let us walk out of the hospital with her, and we don't know what we're doing. We've worked in the nursery like six times at our church, and so that's it. That's our experience. And, uh, and, and so we go home, and we're, we're really careful, but that's a scary day when you put them in the, in the car and take them home for the first time. The next scary day that involves driving is when they turn 16, and you have to give them the keys. See, because up until now, you have been in the driver's seat and they have been in the passenger seat. You determine the direction. You determine how fast you're going. Uh, you determine the location of where you're going. But now, by giving them the keys, you have to move from behind the wheel to the passenger seat. And they are determining the location and the direction and the speed in which you get there. Now, you can yell at them and say, slow down, slow down. 
But they don't have to do it, right? I mean, because they got the will. They got access to the gas pedal. You don't. And, and so that can be a scary thing because we, we lose control when we give them the keys. Likewise, in our spiritual walk, we want Jesus in the car, but we want him in the passenger seat. We want him close enough where if there's a crisis, you know, we can reach over and say, hey, hey, I need you. Help me out here. But Jesus, he wants in the car. He just doesn't, he's like that 16-year-old. He doesn't want to be in the passenger seat. Jesus wants to be in control. He wants to be the one who determines the direction of our life where we are headed ultimately, uh, how fast we are going to get there. He wants to be the one in complete control. And that goes against our selfish nature because we want to have control. I'll tell you a little bit more about this in the life application, but we're to give him the keys. Third, taking up your cross involves death. Not just a desire and not just denial, but it involves death. When Jesus says to take up a cross, remember this is first century. First century Israel, the Romans were crucifying people by the hundreds and by the thousands. And so when Jesus says, take up a cross, every single person knew exactly what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about a little piece of metal you put around your neck. He was talking about a piece of wood that you were going to die on. The cross always involved death. And so for me to, to do what Jesus says here, for me to take up my cross means that I have to die to myself. Now, there were a lot of people in the first century that were dying to follow Jesus. I mean, he had the dog and pony show thing, and, and they were dying to follow him so they could see his miracles. But once they found out that that's really what he was calling for, dying to self, they quit following him. John six sixty six. It says this. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Not talking about the 12 disciples, but, but other people who were following Jesus until they found out that to follow him, they had to give up, relinquish their own life, and they didn't want to do that. Jesus had to die so that we can have eternal life, and, and now we must die so that he can live in us. We didn't read the verse, but look at the very next verse in our text. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What Jesus is saying is we can keep our life, but we're ultimately going to lose it. Or we can lose it to him and have it eternally. Douglas MacArthur, the great general, said, In war there is no substitute for victory. In essence, what Jesus is saying here is, In life there is no substitute for surrender. There's no substitute for for us turning our life completely over to him. You know what conjoined twins are, Siamese twins? They, they, they are connected physically. Part of their skin is connected, maybe some of their organs. Um, I was reading about, uh, it, it's rare, it's one in 200,000, and I was reading about a couple named Michael and Rena from Malta, and, and they were expecting their first child, and they found out that they were going to have twins, and then they found out that the twins were conjoined. Jody and Mary were born on August the 7th, 2000 in Manchester, England. They were joined at the abdomens. They shared a bladder. Um, Mary was not very strong. Her heart was not strong. And so unless she stayed connected to Jody, she was going to die. 
Now, she began to put on weight at Jody's expense. And it became apparent that if something wasn't done, both of them would die. And so the judge issued a ruling that they should be separated surgically, and so they were, and Jody lived, is alive today, and Mary was lost. I tell you that because in essence, that's what Jesus is saying. We both can't live. Either he's going to live in us or we're going to live for self in us, but, but we can't coexist that way. For him to live, we must die to self. And if we don't die to self, then that makes it real difficult for him to live in our life as Lord of our life. A young believer was struggling with this text about picking up your cross, and so he went to a more mature follower that he knew, and he said, listen, can you explain this text to me? I don't really understand what Jesus means to take up your cross. The mature believer thought for a few minutes, and, and then he says, I, I think it means three things. Three things. Number one, he said, to pick up your cross means th that you can only face one way. See, if the piece of wood's back there, there is no way for you to look behind you, all right? So he said, I think it means only look in one way. Not only that, it means that you can't go back. You can't go behind you. No turning back. You've said goodbye. When, you, when you're nailed to the cross, you have said goodbye to life as you know it. And then the third thing he said I think that it means is you have no plans of your own because somebody has already made the plans for you. When you're, when you're being crucified. And I thought, man, that is so accurate to what Jesus is saying here. See, for us as believers, if we're going to be crucified to self, there is no looking back at that old life. There is no turning back to that old life and saying, you know what, you know, I'm going to go back and get a little bit of that old life and, and still follow Christ. And, and we have no plans of our own if we are crucified with Christ because he has plans for us. That's what it means to take up our cross. If you've taken up your cross, you cannot look back, long back, long for the back, or turn back. Fourth, to take up your cross requires devotion. Desire. If anyone desires to follow after me, denial, let him deny himself, take up his cross, death, and follow me. The word follow there is an interesting word. It, it it's a, comes from a Greek word, which was the prefix to, meant, to mean like or same. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that we should walk in the same way or take the same road as him. He's painting a picture of total submission. Now, if, we're, if, if he says there's going to be a follower, implicit in that, if you have a follower, there has to be a leader, right? And so if we're the follower, then he is the leader. A disciple... Not a decision, but a disciple is someone who sings and means wherever he leads, I'll go. That's a disciple. Imagine two men walking down a country road, and there's a dog walking about 15 yards behind him. Who's the master of that dog? You say, well, I don't know yet. One of those guys, probably. They come to a fork in the road, and... One man goes this direction and one man goes this direction. Now, who's the master of that dog? The one the dog follows. That dog will always follow his master. He's not going to go following some stranger down this road when his master turns and goes down this road. All right? 
For some of you today, you are at a fork in the road spiritually. A spiritual fork in the road. You are either going to follow Jesus completely or you're not. He's giving you that choice. You can't go both directions. You're either going his way or you're not. And so let me give you some life application. Here's how this fleshes out, okay? Life application number one, we should crucify our feet. Jesus' feet were crucified. They would have been crossed and pointed downward and a, a stake would have been driven through them. These are the exact same feet who walked from town to town to share the hope that is found in the Lord God. These are the same feet that carried him to those who were hurting and those who were suffering. These are the same feet that took him down the path of God's will for his life. You remember in the garden, he said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so for our feet to be crucified, what we're saying is our feet should be taking us to places where people need to know the gospel. Ought to be taking us to people who are lost. Our feet ought to be taking us to people who are hurting and suffering. Our feet should be walking down the path of God's will for our life. That's what it means to have crucified feet. Do you have crucified feet this morning? Life application number two, we should crucify our hands. Jesus' arms were stretched out on the cross, and the nails actually would have been driven probably at the wrist area between the bones there. But the wrist controlled the hands, and so the hands weren't going anywhere because the, the wrists were nailed there, and so we should have crucified hands. Now, it was painful to have crucified hands because it was most people that were crucified would die from suffocation because there was nothing to stand on. Their feet were just nailed, okay? And so they would have to pull up, putting their weight on those arms that had been nailed to the cross to try to get a breath. And eventually the pain was excruciating and, and they were so physically worn out that they no longer could lift themselves up by their arms and they would suffocate. They would die. So it's painful to have your hands crucified. And sometimes it's painful for us to have crucified hands because if, if we touch the hurts of humanity sometimes it's going to hurt us it's going to cause us pain so let me ask you do you have crucified hands today are you using your hands for what god has called you to do now i was painfully honest with you a moment ago when i said when i named who the church member was that gave me the most trouble all right i was painfully honest because I identified it as myself. If you'll allow me to, just for a moment, for those of you who call Eastwood your home, I want to be painfully honest with some of you. Some of you have what I call lazy hands. They're not crucified hands, they're lazy hands. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, you never do anything serving the Lord. Your hands are so busy accomplishing your will for your life, you use your hands to work, to make a living, to, to work at your house, to work in your yard, whatever. Your, your hands are so busy doing your will that you don't have any time to do God's will. And so your hands aren't crucified, they're just lazy. Your hands will either accomplish your will or they should be used to accomplish his life. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Life application number three, we should crucify our ears. Before they put Jesus on the cross, it says they put a crown of thorns on him, the Roman soldiers did. And, and we're not talking rosebud thorns, okay? The guy behind us, has, he has two rose bushes at his fence, and they grow through the fence. And I was out mowing the grass yesterday, and every time I go past there, I have to do this because, man, them, them little thorns hurt. And uh, the thorns, though, I, I have a crown of thorns in my office that you can see sometime if you want. I bought it in Israel. The thorns are about an inch long. Okay, and, and when they would have pushed it down on Jesus' brow, it would have pierced his skull in several places all the way around. Would have, would have caused the blood to flow down. And then the scripture says they, they beat him and slapped him around the face. And so while it doesn't tell us, I'm convinced that he would have had blood all over his ears. His ears would have been covered in blood. A Christian's ears need to be crucified. What does that mean? Crucified ears will not listen to gossip. I've had people t ask me this or make this comment to me through the years. I don't know why people always come to me with that stuff. I do. Because you listen. I mean, all it takes is one time when they bring that junk to you, you just say, hey, whoa, stop, time out. Unless you're willing to go with me to that person and talk to them about this, I don't want to hear it. You'll only have to do that one time, and they won't bring that stuff to you. And if we have crucified ears, we won't listen to those things. But if we have, and, and by the way, having loose ears is as bad as having a loose tongue. Loose ears means you listen to what the loose tongue says. Our ears should be open to the word of God, to the voice of God, to the will of God. Jesus was asked one time why he spoke in parables. And in Matthew 13, here's what he said. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. The reason some of you can't hear God's voice and can't understand it is because you have allowed gossip and negativity to fill your ears, to drown out the voice of God. Life application number four, we should crucify our tongues. James, the half-brother of Jesus, they shared the same biological mother, but of course they didn't share the same father. Um, he had some very strong words in the book that bears his name about the tongue. In James chapter 3, verse 6, and then verses 9 and 10, here's what we read. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. James says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. We all know believers who have hurt the church and the kingdom with their tongue. They've not placed their tongue on the cross. Listen, if you are crucified with Christ, it affects every part of your body. There is not, if you get crucified, there is not a part of your body that is not affected. Let, let me show you what a crucified tongue looks like. Jesus on the cross, right? What's the scripture say he did? Father, forgive them. 
for they know not what they do. I mean, he's praying for the guys who are at the foot of the cross, gambling for his clothes, the very ones who have stripped him naked in front of all of humanity, the ones who have driven the nails into his hands and to his feet and left him there to die, and he's praying for them. Why? Because he had a crucified tongue. Friend, when our tongue is crucified, it will reflect in the way that we say things. James 3, 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We cannot tame it, and so we should crucify it. Ask the Lord to make your tongue dead to anything that he would not have you to say. Number five, Christian eyes ought to be crucified. The Bible warns us about the things that we see. Job, Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. And that's what we ought to do. We ought to make a covenant with our eyes that we won't look at the things that we shouldn't look at. If our eyes are crucified, here's what we see. We see a lost world. If our eyes are crucified, we see people the way God sees them. See, God doesn't see red, yellow, black, white. God doesn't see male, female. God only sees lost and saved. That's the only way he sees people. They're either lost or they're saved. He doesn't see them as drug addicts or drunks or, or adulterers. He just says lost or saved. And if we have crucified eyes, we will then look at folks in that light. We'll say, okay, so this person is this way simply because they're lost. They just need the hope of the gospel. Crucified eyes allow us to see God at work. In our world, Jesus in John 4.35 says, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. One more life application. We ought to crucify our hearts. Crucify our hearts. Many Christians today have no burden for lost people. Could care less. What that reflects is a cold heart of stone. A calloused heart. And it's easy to get there. Jesus said we should have a crucified heart. Jesus had a crucified heart. You know, the scripture says when he died, they pierced his side with a spear and water and blood flow out. Now, I'm not a doctor, but doctors say that the reason it specifies water and blood is because his heart had burst. Jesus died of a broken heart, you might say. And friend, that's what we, we should have a broken heart for those who are lost. Matthew 9, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Are you willing to say, Lord, do whatever you need to in my heart? If you know your, your heart is cold and stony, will you repent of that? June the 7th, 2004. And by, by the way, I, ha I have kind of an eclectic music taste, all right? Um, yeah, I listen to a lot of Christian music, but I've got, on, on my phone, I've got a classical playlist. I've got um, a country playlist i've got a rock and roll playlist a r&b playlist and depending on what i'm doing is which playlist i'm listening to if i'm cutting grass it's usually r&b or classical rock i'm on my way to church it's christian you know praise and worship so i get my heart and mind right ready all right my wife just loves it when i turn on the country playlist she doesn't mind it but let's just say that's not her favorite but one of the songs that I have on my playlist was released on June the 7th, 2004 by Tim McGraw. On that date, he released a song called Live Like You Were Dying. 
Now, he didn't write the song. It was actually written by two men by the name of Tim Nichols and Craig Weissman. They had a friend who was young in his 40s that got diagnosed with a terminal disease. And, and so they, they wrote the song talking about advice on how you should live when you get news like that because of the shortness of, of a person's life. When Tim McGraw heard the song, he knew he had to record it. Why? Because March the 12th, the year before, 2003, his father, Tug McGraw, who played baseball, I think, for the Mets, Phillies, was in spring training, and uh, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And they put him in the hospital, and they did surgery, and it seemed as though the surgery was, was successful, but then the tumor quickly came back, and it was inoperable. And just months later, on January the 4th, 2004, Tug McGraw died. As a, young, as, a, as a relatively young man. And so when Tim McGraw heard this, with what he had been through with his dad, he knew he had to record the song. The song talks about how, life, how short life is. And, and it's a picture of somebody who goes to their dad and says, what do you, in the song it says, what do you do when you get that kind of news? And the response from the dad is what I want to share with you. He said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper. And I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness that I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Like tomorrow was a gift. And you've got eternity to think about what you do with it. What could you do with it? What did I do with it? Friend, you'll have eternity to think of what you do with this life. What you could have done with it. And what you do with it. And so, will you today live like you are dying? What I mean by that is, listen, friend, we're in the land of the dying, headed to the land of the living. I mean, we're closer, a day closer to death than we were yesterday. People, one out of one dies. And so we need to live like that, knowing that life is short with a great sense of urgency to tell people about the hope that is found in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that I would be found faithful, desiring you, denying myself, dying to self. God, I pray that for every one of us. That we would choose to follow you. That we'd have that desire. God, have your will now. May it be accomplished in our life. As we sense the drawing of your Holy Spirit, may we be found obedient in our response. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.